good to gather together. It's good to be with brothers and sisters if you're if you regularly attend. Praise the Lord, it's good to be with you. If you're new, visiting, whatever, we're glad that you've come and joined us. And uh, we just look forward to seeing what the Lord has for us this morning in Philemon. And so let's give thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Father, that, that we can come together as a, as a group of people with very different lives, and yet we can come into one building because we desire to be one people. We desire to be people who worship you, who love you with every, every fiber, every cell of our being, and be a people who image and reflect you well to a world who so desperately needs you, whom you've made that, that we all might experience relationship with you. So thank you for your word this morning in Philemon, and would you teach us? Would you, would you speak to our hearts? Would you change the way that we think and transform us from the inside out so that what we believe becomes the way that we live and that all might give glory and honor and praise to you and it might be for our joy as well. Amen. I'm so thankful for a God who is relational rather than a, a God who some believe is a, is a deist who sort of just made everything, wound it all together and then just left. And uh, we have a God who's very different from that, who has indeed made everything and at the same time is a relational God who before creation even existed, relationally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in union together and then made humanity and all of creation relationally that we might know him and also that we might know each other. And so God gives us relationships and and it's such a joy to live life alongside people, alongside family, alongside friends, alongside people that maybe we wouldn't think would be our friends and then become our friends and say, who would think we would enjoy each other? Thank you, God, for a close friend. And uh, there's relationships that we enter into that we feel like are mutual when we enter into them. Okay, so think for a moment about a relationship you have or have had that's mutual. You expect you're going to give, you're also going to receive. Think for a moment and just pick that one person out. This is a relationship I expect to have a mutual friendship, relationship. We're going to walk in accord together. Maybe it's a marriage, a husband or wife. Maybe it's um, a business par partner. Maybe it's a teammate. Um, maybe it is... Uh, a friend whom you're going to walk alongside. And then there's also other relationships that we have that are, uh, we, f we feel like entering into them, it's not going to be a mutual relationship, it's going to be one that we give maybe more to, and maybe expect a little bit less in return. So think for a, a moment about another relationship you have, about, or, or with somebody that you expect, my part in this relationship is I'm just going to be the giver, I'm going to be the one who gives a lot. And I'm, I just don't expect a lot 
Or maybe I expect really nothing in return. Um, last week, just talking about children and parents, it's a relationship when they're born. You're not, you're not expecting like from that point, like, okay, what am I going to get out of this relationship, right? There's really nothing. God is going to break you. And uh, as I've experienced, and many of you have experienced even more, it's like you, you, you want to know what, what, it's, what it's like for me to love you, God to love people. I'm going to show you through this relationship. And, um, and so maybe it's a, a parent-child. If you're a, a child, maybe it's a sibling. Like I have a little, I have a little sibling that I, that I get to be a part of caring for and loving and knowing and I'm not really, there's really nothing you can offer me except for maybe a smile here and there that is as fun. Um, so maybe there's those types of relationships. Maybe it's, maybe it's a ministry relationship. Like I'm just expecting with my neighbor, I'm expecting within the church, if you're a part of a, a ministry within the church and you're going I'm to, just, I'm just here to serve you. And uh, I expect it to sort of be one way, if you will. And I was blessed a couple years ago uh, with a bunch of 13-year-old boys. And um, we were spending time in a circle together, and we were taking time to pray together. And so we did a little, like, teaching in the Word about prayer, and then we just sort of entered in and just kind of encouraged them as we went. There was probably 10 of us. We wanted to spend time praying specifically for one another, for our, the things in our own heart, the burdens that we care, the joys that we have. And an hour later... After doing that, while still praying, they ended with this. One of the guys started praying for me as an individual. My family, my children, my relationship with my wife. Something I did not expect at all. Although it was, I mean, I think he was getting the point that, hey, we want to pray for anyone. We want to just leave somebody out just because it's an old man. Um, <laughs> right? And uh, so they started praying for me. And it, was a, and it was a tremendous blessing to me, a relationship with a bunch of guys that I expect, hey, it's going to sort of be one, one way. So I'm not ex- entering in expecting to be mutual. And yet then God blesses me greatly through that. And after that, I said, did you guys realize that we spent time communing with the Lord in prayer for an hour? And they were like, what? That was awesome. That was like that quick. And... Uh, so we, we all that night got to taste uh, much of the goodness of God and relationship that we get to have with one another and for um, and with him. And so this morning, as we continue in Philemon, this sort of middle portion, there's, um, there's significant pieces of relationship that we'll see in the dynamics between Philemon and Onesimus and the Apostle Paul. And how there's a tremendous honor that Paul is trying to bring into the relationship that he's experienced and also encouraging and exhorting Philemon as well, a brother in the church of Colossae. And, uh, and so honoring those that maybe we wouldn't expect to offer us much, like the 13-year-old boys that I got to spend time with, um, who God blessed me much that night through the fellowship together and the time and prayer. And so we're going to continue, uh, we're going to continue in verse 8 um, to, give you a, to give you a reminder from last week. We just spent time looking at how the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon and the letter to the church of Colossae are hand in hand, very like 
likely that they went together and they delivered both these. You have sort of three main characters, if you will. You have the Apostle Paul who's writing the letter. Um, you have, or dictating it, you have um, Onesimus who is with Paul for a while in Rome while Paul is in prison, in the house prison, sends this letter. And Tychicus, another brother in the Lord, they send him to Colossae, Onesimus and Tychicus, with one letter to Philemon, Onesimus is a slave. One letter to his master, whom he ran away from. One letter to the church of Colossae. And so that's sort of the dynamics here. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 7, and uh, we looked primarily at two things, how Jesus and the gospel uh, binds us together as followers of him. We're bound together as captives of Jesus. We're connected to him. Our life is in him. And at the same time, we're bound to one another in the church. And so the gospel binds us to Jesus and binds us to one another. And so there's relational aspects there as well. So I'm just going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through 16. And, um, and then we'll pick up at verse 8 this week. So if you want to follow along, you can. Um, if that works really well for you, don't feel like you need to. You can listen. Um, but we're going to spend a lot of time in it. Uh, This morning. So, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In verse eight and nine, it says, accordingly though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. 
I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So Paul sort of identifies himself. He says, I'm an old man. I've been on journeys. I've been traveling. Even before my life in Christ, I was a part of the, the Pharisees and teaching the law and, and, and even attacking Christians and imprisoning them and killing them. And he says, now I'm an old man, and I'm writing to you. And in this culture, old men were to be honored and revered. And so he's, he's telling Philemon, like, hey, I'm an old man. And, um, and he also says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. If you remember last week, I've been captured by Jesus. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus to do his will. And also Philemon is a slave of yours. I'm not so different than Philemon. I'm like him in many ways, as I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. And even you, my brother, implicitly you, my brother, Philemon, you also are the same. So he's beginning to level the playing field, if you will, by identifying himself with Christ Jesus as a prisoner, as a slave, as one who's been captured to serve another. And he says, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, what's expected, what's suitable. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So it's sort of like this. Have you guys ever had a time when someone's like, hey, I'm asking you to do this. And you're like, hmm, do I have a choice here? Do I not have a choice? If I say no, is that gonna be bad for me? Right, so he's like, hey, I could in my authority in Christ Jesus say, you need to do this. But I'm not gonna do that. But I sort of am doing that by virtue of how I'm approaching it. But I'm not gonna do that. I prefer, for the sake of love, as a brother in the Lord, to appeal to you, to request of you, would you do this thing for the sake of love, for the sake of Jesus? He, uh, rather than command him, he seeks to persuade him otherwise. Philemon Uh, Onesimus, his slave, ran away. Philemon's been wronged. He's been, he's the one who's been offended. He's the one who's lost property. Potentially even Onesimus took some things from him. Not only himself left, but also took some things with. And so he's, he's in the wrong right now. Onesimus is in the wrong. Philemon's been wronged. And, and Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm commanding you to do this because I know you've been hurt and you just need to suck it up and do this. He says, no, I want to persuade you. So we'll look at this, how he persuades him as we go. He's like, I want to persuade you to something different, to my way of thinking rather than what's, been, what's happened to you. And you think about, you think about evangelism um, and, and commanding or appealing and pers- or persuading people. And it doesn't work real well to say, hey, I'm gonna command you to do this. I, this is truth, you need to follow it, you need to obey it, you need to follow God, you need to give your life to Jesus. When we share Jesus with people, we share the gospel with people, even the Apostle Paul says in two different portions, he says, I don't come with eloquent words of wisdom to sort of persuade you, but then later in the second, that was in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians he says, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I want to persuade you. 
in the book of Hebrews, there's a call. As long as it's today, would you believe and not harden your hearts? Believe the gospel, it's true. There's a lot of people in our lives who've been, who've been, who are broken, who've been hurt, whom the world has hurt or whom sin has broken relationships in their life or whom some in the church or by, by Christians or even people who proclaim to be Christians have brought a lot of hurt to people's lives. You need to be aware of that. Say, I, I understand you've been hurt, but it doesn't mean the truth is not the truth. And to continue to encourage, enter into their life and to persuade them by the way that we speak with the grace of God in the gospel and also by the way that we live. It doesn't work quite as well to command, but to persuade. I have uh, a couple friends who, um, one that I went to college with, he was a roommate of mine, and we shared a room, there was three of us. And he, um, during college, God began to increase his heart of mercy for people. We spent a lot of time at a shelter downtown, even started a ministry. All of us guys in the house, there was seven of us. We would buy as many, buy as many double quarter pounders of cheese and juice as we could, and we'd go down to the homeless shelter and just spend time with guys and uh, just enter into their world and their life. And so God began to produce within him this heart of mercy and compassion that would often come out with people who are the least among us, if you will. And uh, he got married, and not so long ago, they, they were able to take a trip over to Egypt. And during that trip, God birthed within both of them a love for Muslim people. And um, so they came back to the States, and they, they were just finishing their dream house down in, in, uh, in Richfield area. And so they... They were almost completing with it. As they completed it, they began to have as many Somali people into their home as possible, although there was quite a distance. They were just very hospitable and invited them into their life. And so God was birthing in them uh, a desire to, to, to meet, to share the gospel with, to, to, to show Jesus by the way that they live, by the way that they speak, to persuade people that Jesus is truth. And the one to follow. And um, so it's encouraging to me to see that and to hear that, that that's how they're living. They're desiring to live that way more and more. And um, so Paul is seeking to persuade Philemon. And he says in verse 10 then, look down with me. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. What does it take to become a child? Philemon's a, a grown man, a slave, runs away. What does it take for him to become a child of the Apostle Paul, whom he says, whose father I became in my imprisonment? There has to be a change that happens within him to become a child, to be born again, if you will. Onesimus comes to flees Philemon, comes to Paul in Rome, and is born again. He's totally changed. Something happened to him that the Apostle Paul might say, through the gospel, he became my son, whom I love and cherish, whom I nurture, whom I've taught, whom I've opened my life to and shared my life with, along with all those that have come and spent time in our house in Rome. He's my son. And he says, verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, 
It's unprofitable. That's what useless was. He's unprofitable. I don't know what the dynamic, was in, the, the dynamic was in their relationship before he left, but surely when he left, he became useless. He's not even here anymore. He's unprofitable for me. And um, remember, he's standing in front of me, likely standing in front of Philemon as he gives him this letter and he's reading this. And um, he's like, he was useless to you. Onesimus' name means useful, the useful one. It was a common name for slaves. And he's saying, although he was useless, he wasn't even around, he was useless to you. Now, but now indeed, he's useful to you and to me. Something's changed within him. And he is useful. He became useful to me in the gospel when he believed. He became a useful worker, a fellow co-laborer, one to encourage me as I sought to encourage, one who was least among us. A slave who came to me that I received some benefit from and some mutual relationship from. The relationship has changed now. Think about how many of those relationships that you entered in mutually, but they changed. I've seen even with my own eyes over recent months, children who become the primary caretakers of their, of their parents. Think about that dynamic. How once they were the ones who were useless, unprofitable, if you will. The least, the parents cared for them and now everything's changed. Or as a parent, as well, you've been the primary caretaker of or a child. You've become the primary caretaker of uh, your parent, excuse me, um, and a marriage, excuse me, in a marriage with your spouse. You entered in mutually, but the relationships change now, and you become the primary caretaker of your spouse. And Paul's saying, it was one one-sided but in response to the gospel and in believing, all of a sudden the relationship becomes mutual. He says, so formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed use, he was useless, but now he indeed is useful to you and to me. He was useful to me, Philemon, although you maybe don't see it yet. He's a changed person, and he will become even more useful to you. My, my friends in their, uh, in their home began to have relationships with people of a different ethnic background. Think about the relationships that we have that maybe are one-sided. We feel like are one-sided because of the social status, because of the social economic status, because of um, gender, because of generational gap. We feel like they're one way or the other. Because of ethnic background, we feel like it's maybe one way or the other. And how God begins to change those relationships as we enter into them and we begin to receive blessing from the Lord by entering into those relationships, young people with older people, older people who with younger people who are like, you know what, you don't have a lot to offer me, and then God awakens them in a moment and says, you have much to receive from this young person. And God humbles us, and we begin to say, thank you, God, because the least among us are great in your eyes. Would you show me more that I might treasure the least among us and be blessed by them in this new relationship. So verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. Think about this. Onesimus is a child of Paul. I'm sending my heart with him. It, it, it hurts, it breaks my heart as a child to separate from a parent, and I'm sending him back to you. Would you be careful with him? He has my heart with him. 
it's hard for me to let him go. But I am because it is right. He says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me. This, this word is, is sort of like, I've been glad to keep him with me. I, I wanted to keep him with me. I preferred to keep him with me. But in Roman culture, you send the slave back when they escape, sort of like the history of our nation when they would go over. If they were caught, they were returned, right? In Deuteronomy, God's word says that actually if a, if a slave escapes his master and comes to you, you're to keep him. You're to give him refuge. But in Roman culture, when they, when they escape and come, you're to send them back. So he's saying, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have liked to keep him because of how beneficial he was to me in the gospel as a brother in the Lord and as one who serves. He says, in order that he might serve me, this word serve is sort of like a, a, a servant or a slave waiting on tables of a guest. We can see how Paul was blessed through this relationship as it became even, even more mutual as they entered into brotherhood in Christ Jesus together for the sake of the gospel how, how Onesimus began to serve Paul and help him in his labors. And even now how he's delivering these letters with Tychicus. And he said he's serving on, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. On behalf, of, on behalf of you, Philemon, Onesimus has served me. And I honor him. You, you would be proud of the way that he served me, Philemon. Even though he is useless to you. Man, he's been so useful to me. He's been such a help to me, and I honor him for that. In, in, uh, in Colossians, Paul speaks this to slaves. He says, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. A lot of us know this text. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Something's changed in Onesimus that became so valuable to me as a servant, such a partner in the gospel, not only because he's serving me, but he's serving the Lord Christ. And now he's coming back to you, Philemon, and he will be useful to you even more because he's been changed. And because now he doesn't just serve you as an earthly master, he's serving Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that that's what happens for us as well as slaves of Christ, those that have given our lives to him, who've been changed, who've been made new. Our work is not just for men. We get to serve the Lord Christ in every area, in all that we do. None of your work is insignificant. None of it. It's all of value to God. Some of you might be like, I'm, I make money, but who am I serving? I'm serving this company, and they're making money. I was so encouraged a couple years ago in the free church conference for pastors and church leaders. A man came talking about the economy of God and how sometimes we value paid pastors or leaders or or, or people in counseling, or, or whatever. But at the, in, the, in the economy of God, everything's at his disposal. Your work for the company you work for is useful to God for the sake of the kingdom. It's not the company who pays you. It's God who's given you the job. You're working for him, and God is paying you to continue to use 
the finances that he gives you for the work of his kingdom, for the work that he's doing through the church, the local church, the global church. All of your work is significant. So work hard as unto the Lord and not for men. That's what gave Onesimus new vision, how he could be so useful to Paul. And in part, Onesimus, think about that, an escaped slave going back to his master, realizing, I need to be reconciled with, I've wronged my master. I have to come back to him. And Paul has exhorted and encouraged me. And when I come back to him, I'm going to be a slave again. But this time, I'm going to serve not just him. I'm going to serve him so well, but I'm also, going to, I'm also serving the Lord Christ. That no matter the relationship here, I can work hard for him, not so that he sees me and honors me and maybe gives me freedom. It wasn't uncommon after 31 or so to be granted freedom or to get paid for your work so you could buy your freedom. But I'm going to work for him because I'm actually serving Jesus. And so he's been changed, and Paul honors him and blesses him. And before Philemon writes and said, he was such a good servant, it breaks my heart to send him away back to you because he's so useful to me. But I trust the Lord he will be useful to you as well. And then he comes into this in verse um, 14. He says, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. I didn't want to keep him. I wanted to keep him. But I wanted you to be a part of that. I didn't want to do it behind your back, if you will. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. I didn't want to do it without your consent. I didn't want to keep him without your consent. It's kind of one of those same deals. Like, I want you to do something here. I want you to make some decisions here, Philemon. But I don't want to command you to do it. I want it to be out of the goodness of your own heart. Not by compulsion. This word compulsion is sort of like you're, you're bracing yourself. You're getting ready for something so that you can resist it. Bent arms. I'm ready to receive this because I'm going to push it away. He said, I, want it. I don't want you to do that, Philemon. I don't want you to be ready to resist me. I want you to receive Onesimus. I want you to receive him back. I want you to be restored in your relationship. Yes, he's wronged you. But I want you to receive him and be reconciled in relationship. That's the gospel. That's what God's done for us. He says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Not in a physical body, but in a spiritual body. Paul's saying, perhaps, I'm trying to persuade you here, Philemon, perhaps he ran away because God had bigger plans that you couldn't see. Think about this for a moment. Philemon's a part of the church because he's a slave of Phi, or excuse me, Onesimus is part of the church of Classe because he's a slave of Philemon. He's heard the gospel over and over and over again, likely, and nothing's changed. He runs away to Paul, and he comes and he lives his life with Paul, 
And something happens that when he hears the gospel, his life is changed. Praise the Lord. I don't know if that, if that resonates with you, but that's part of my story. That's part of a young man among us story who said, I came on Wednesdays and I didn't know what, I'm like, what are we doing here? And then I heard the gospel. And I believe, I get it. I understand now. My story is similar. I did a lot of things. And then I heard the gospel and I believed. And God changed my life. And he's saying, the same things happened to Onesimus. Perhaps God had a bigger plan that you can't see, Philemon. Perhaps, my brothers and sisters, God has bigger plans for us than we can see. So don't be angry, Philemon, because God has had a plan for Onesimus, and through the gospel, his life has changed. Praise the Lord. Now you get to receive him back, not as a slave in physical body, but in spiritual body. In spirit forevermore. You get to have him back eternally. So he's persuading Philemon. And then we come into this last verse in verse 16. No longer as a slave. Go back to 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you. For a little while, just a little while, Philemon, he's left. He's separated from you. But now you might have him back forever. You might have him back eternally. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord Jesus. When people are born again, that's an eternal thing. When people hear the gospel and believe, that's an eternal thing. It's not just in the flesh and in the life that we live. Eternally, a soul has been won for Jesus. God, give us those eyes so that we might see every person among us, those that we interact with. I was at Menards yesterday with my boys. Those that I pass and I see and I interact with. God, let my life so um, honor you that those who are honored that I interact with and those who are not honored that I interact with, that I might see them as individual people who have eternal souls, either unto life or unto death when they die. And God, would you win them over that they might believe and eternally be saved? That's an amazing thing when, when God breathes life into us and we live eternally. In this body, we begin to live eternally and the next we will. And he says, so, so we can look at this and say, is Paul saying to him, would you set him free? Would you not let him be a slave anymore? It's possible. You receive him back, not as a slave anymore, but as a brother. Give him his freedom. Paul says in the gospel, when you believed and came to Christ, if you're married 
and your spouse doesn't believe, don't seek divorce. If you're not married, don't seek to just be married, to live in a different state. If you're a slave, don't seek, don't seek to be free. Don't be so concerned with that. Although he says, if you can get your freedom, do it. I don't believe that Paul is saying, hey, he was your slave. Now that he's become a Christian, release him. Partially because of the letter to the Colossians where he says, slaves and masters, have good relationship with each other. He says later after that text that I read, he says, remember masters, you also have a master in heaven. So honor and treat your slaves well, just as your heavenly father treats you. He says, I think what he's saying is, he's not just a slave to you anymore, but he's more than a slave. He's a beloved brother. The only other time we see that beloved word in here is at the beginning. In verse 1, he says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Onesimus has changed, and he's beloved by God, and he's beloved by us in the church. He's a beloved brother in the Lord. Receive him back. And he says, he's especially to me. My heart, he has my heart. He's a brother. He's a co-laborer. But how much more to you now, Philemon, that he's with you? Both in the flesh as your slave and as one to serve you, but also in the Lord Jesus. Philemon, you didn't just get a brother back. You didn't just get a slave back now. Remember, he's been changed the gospel's changed him. God's changed him through the gospel. Now he's a brother in the Lord. He's not just one to serve you, but he's serving the Lord Christ. Now he's a co-laborer with you for the sake of the gospel. Philemon, he's going to be of mutual benefit in the relationship that you have. You're going to be encouraged through him. He's going to be useful to you. And also, you'll be useful to him as a brother to continue to serve the Lord, to continue to serve and advance the kingdom of God through the gospel in the city of Colossae. He's a brother with you now. My friends in Richfield, they, um, after two months in their dream house, my friend was saying, Actually, it was great to be in the house. Did I have to do any work? It was all done, but it was way too nice for us. He has two little kids, and he's like, my kids are driving around on the wood floors with their cars. I'm like, ah, smashing them into the cupboards. He's like, oh, man. He's like, it was so stressful, and, 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 and I was so anxious. After two months, they sold their house. They realized that we can have Somalis into our home, but there's so many barriers and walls. It's so nice. They're so far away. After two months, they sold their home like that. It was gone. It was like a week, two weeks, he said. It was sold right away. We bought a house downtown Minneapolis, just a couple blocks from the center of the Somali community because we wanted to come into where the, where the people who are Muslim live and enter into their life and enter into their turf to begin to share our lives with them and enter into their lives. So for the sake of the gospel, they might believe that we might live our lives with them, that we might enter into relationship 
humanly speaking, to have mutual benefit one unto another. And Lord willing, through the gospel, many might be saved. Their lives might be changed. They might begin to serve. He said it's really hard to break into the Muslim community. But God has given him favor, favor with a, um, an imam who's essentially like a pastor, a Muslim pastor, if you will. And they have good relationship. And he's hopeful that through the gospel, some might believe. And then when they begin to believe, the walls begin to break down. And these Muslim people with their own people might have more opportunity to mutually work together for the sake of the gospel. The relationship that maybe was one, they felt was one-sided. I, I have the truth to offer you. And you believe now becomes mutual. We get to work together for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we want to think of in those, it, with those eyes. When we interact with each other in generations, rather than feel like, you guys are so old. What, what do I get? What, what can I get from you? Or you guys are just so young. What can you do for me? We want to have eyes that begin to honor one another differently so that we can say, you are 10. God, what do you have to teach me through a 10-year-old? Give me eyes to see it. Because maybe through the eyes of a 10-year-old, he has something to teach me so that through our relationship, I can connect with 10-year-olds for the advancement of the kingdom and the gospel. Or for me, with someone who's 70, what can I receive in that in our relationship for the sake of the kingdom that I can learn, that I can honor a brother or sister well beyond me, that I can receive from them so that together I might say, I can learn from you. How can I connect with 70-year-olds? As a 70-year-old, how can you connect with 30-year-olds? We are together in this. How can we honor one another and hold each other up that we might mutually walk alongside each other as followers of Jesus saying, teach me, brother, teach me, sister, for the sake of the kingdom of God that people's eternal souls might experience life in Jesus. And so be one for him. In closing, this is, this is the gospel. This, this text is the gospel. How useful to you, how useful to God were you when the word says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the ways of the world. How useful to you, how useful to God were you. But praise the Lord that even though we were useless to God, we were unprofitable to him, he didn't leave us there as the least. The good news is that God said, no, you are valuable to me. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you in Christ Jesus. 
God's word says later on in that same text in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with him. By grace, you've been saved. And then it says this, not only did God change us, but it says, and he raised us up with Christ Jesus, whom he said in chapter one, is ruling in authority and in power over everything. God says, you are the least, but I'm coming for you to change you, to take you to be with me and to honor you in Christ Jesus as sons and daughters of mine. That's the good news of Jesus. If you're like I was, and you've been doing this for a long time, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know, that's, that's new to me. I, don't, I get it now, what Jesus has come for. Praise the Lord, believe. Believe and so be saved. Experience life. Experience what God has for you and great honor for you as his creation. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, God, awaken us. Give us eyes to see one another so that we might say, I want to walk with you. Teach me. So for the sake of the gospel, we might go together forward after Christ Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom. And yes, you're seven. But one day, you won't just be seven, you'll be 37. And we'll be laboring even more closely together. So would you learn from me? And would you teach me? For the glory of God, for the sake of the, of the advancement of his kingdom, and for the sake of people's lives eternally, that they might be saved. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gospel that you didn't leave us as unuseful, but you saw us as profitable and useful people to enter into your labor for the sake of the gospel. And so you didn't leave us. You set your son Jesus for us and honored us in that life so that we might serve you and glorify you in all that we do. Help us to to, to honor one another, even as you have honored us in Christ Jesus. Unto your glory, God. Amen.